Hey, thanks, Austin. He's good. I don't tell them when they're bad, but I'll tell them when they're good. You, you did awesome, man. You've got a great voice, and your spirit uh, is one of humbleness. And sometimes when you get up in front of people, there's a lot of different things that go on uh, when you're on a stage. So uh, I'm complimenting him because uh, that was easy. I just felt smooth, like a good cup of Guatemala coffee. <laughs> I just got back from Guatemala, and I don't like coffee. And I'm telling y'all that I might be hooked. The stuff was really, really good. All right, so if you haven't been here all summer, then you've missed us going through the Wild Goose Chase. Uh, those books are probably not available anymore. I think we're out. Uh, so you have to get one online if you hadn't read through it. If you're just getting some of them and you haven't been here for the whole summer series, then you can go uh, to our podcast. I'm not sure how that's working these days, but go to the one on the website. I know that one's working and you can, uh, you can catch up if you've missed it. Today is kind of the, uh, the ending of it. Uh, I think Alan said last week that he was probably going to end it, um, but I'm the pastor and I wanted to end it, so I took another Sunday <laughs> to do that. Um, because uh, this was a this was a good book. Um, it's a good book for me. It was just uh, it was rich uh, in some of the things that that I struggle with the Lord about. It, it had um, some things that I think uh, for our church could capture uh, not only where we are as as some cages that maybe hinder our church, but also just us as individual individuals. That's why it resonated with me. Uh, so much. And so uh, we're going to continue that. If you look in your notes, you got uh, all six of them are listed there. Uh, I'm going to give you some scripture for different ones uh, here and there. Um, but they will uh, all go back to the same thing. And I will start off with verse 17 out of the book of John. And uh, it is going to be verse 13. No, it's not. It's chapter 13, verse 17. So here we go. Now, that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And I like the actual New American Standard version, which says this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. If you do them. If you know these things. So I want you to know that if you've listened to these cages that we're trying to break out of, if you've listened over the last several weeks about what needs to happen in your life or maybe what God is kind of showing you is, hey, here's this cage of fear or failure or here's the cage of responsibility uh, or for some, this one seemed to resonate, which I thought was pretty awesome, the cage of routine um, because I, I kind of, I, I really don't like to think of myself as a person of routine because I'm pretty spontaneous, uh, but I like to have a spontaneous routine. I know that doesn't sound like that works, but there's things that I kind of call myself a pocket perfectionist, okay? I file by pile. Don't touch my pile because I know what's in the pile, and I can find it. Nobody else can find it, but I can find it because that's kind of... So there are these things that we have in our life, and the question today and the question that I want to pose for you at the end of today's message, the takeaway is, is your life being hindered? by something that is caging you in? Is, is, there, is there something that, that maybe God could even use you more than you currently are being used 
but because of one of these cages that we go through, you're just kind of stuck, or you're not, um, this, I hate this word. Don't you love it? And in fact, somebody told me this the other night, and they used this word, and it was great. No, it was the other day in Bible study. It was great because somebody said, hey, you've got potential. I mean, according to how old you are, that stinks, right? Hey, you got potential. Jonathan, you really got potential to actually be a pastor. Okay, I hope I get there. Right? Nobody wants potential. You want to be doing that. But it's also a compliment. Hey, there's potential. There's things there that, that, man, if you worked on this or did that or this fell into place or whatever, this could happen, right? The potential, I mean, that's exciting. But then there's good old Satan. All right, I know y'all get tired of hearing this, but here's the bottom line. If Satan cannot have your soul and my soul, then the next best thing that he can do is make you and I ineffective as Christians, as followers of Christ. So he's going to try to mess with your marriage. He's going to try to mess with your kids. He's going to try to mess with your finances. Is any of those resonating yet? He's going to try to mess. I mean, he could have messed with you this morning just with your car or a tire. I I already used the kids, so we'll just move that one out of the way. By the way, did y'all happen to see the preacher's kids? We were obviously the only ones that read the memo on pajama day at church. And my kids are all in to pajama day, if y'all haven't seen them yet. Hey, maybe we ought to do pajama adult day. That's all right. Come to think of that, that's probably not what we need to do. So, here's what this verse means to me. 13, 17 of John says this. You and I have now become responsible for what we have learned and for what God has shown us through this. What are you going to do with it? He's saying that God will bless you if you do something about it. And I know we can get into the, well, God's sovereign and he, hey, guess what? God created us to use us. God created, I know his sovereignty. I know he doesn't even need to use us. But guess what? He would like to. He wants to. He created us for his fellowship and for his glory and to be used by him. In fact, that's his preference is to use people to reach and minister to other people. That's why we're here. That's what he he says. To bring glory to him, to worship him, to fellowship him, and to show that to others. So again, going back to if... If Satan can make you and I ineffective in doing that, he's won. Okay, victory little one over there for him. Okay, we know the battle's already been won, right? Big victory, big win. We're all good in the end. But how about all this stuff in between? I like to call it the dash. The dash is the beginning of our life and the end of our life. This last week, um, one of my former interns and one of my former staff members, uh, he and his wife, I lost their little girl after three years of a battle. I can't even remember all the disease that was encompassed in that. And I'm thinking to myself, because it's just honestly hard for me to fathom, and I've had a couple of friends that have lost children that way, and I'm going like, Lord, what? why? Why did you do that? What, what were they here for? What was that little girl here for for only three years, and what, did, what was that for? 
But then after reading and, and, and seeing some of the, the blogs and the, and the things that, uh, that my friends put about that little girl's life in their life and what they learned and how they trusted God, there's no question that there was purpose in that, even though I can't understand it fully and, and, and I can't grasp what that would be like to have the loss of that life and, and what that would affect me like. But in their life, they would say they wouldn't change it, that it affected them for the good. And so we look at this this morning um, with, with, to me, a, a very uh, prayerful, open your heart to what God tells you, and then just do what he says to do. So the first one is the cage of responsibility. And if you remember, uh, I was the one that kind of got up on this one, and we looked in, in Nehemiah for the cage of responsibility. And if you remembered anything about it, it was simply this, that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. That means he had a cush job. He had it all going on. It was really a sweet job. I mean, he had his plans and all that he needed to do. He was in charge of stuff and in charge of people. And by the way, the word I would use for him is that he was pretty comfortable in what he was doing. And, and he had position and he had power. That resonates for most of us, right? So that's a good job. And yet, here's what happens in Nehemiah 1.5. It says this. <clears throat> Let me find it. I have to find it. And I'm not finding it. So hold on. That can't be right. There's no way that's right. Seriously, did one of y'all switch my Bible and my verses because that doesn't look right. Let me just tell you what he did. He cried out to the Lord and prayed and it says that he recognized God and his awesomeness. And when he recognized God and his awesomeness in praying to him, he was convicted about God's character because of the way God was. And it convicted him so much that he said, Lord, whatever you want is what I want. Cupbearer, nice job, nice situation, all the things that were good by our standard. And it, and it pushed him to a place of saying, God, what, what is this about for you? And when that happened, then Nehemiah changed his mind. In fact, what it said is that he started pursuing what God had placed on his heart. And what God had placed on his heart was the land that he had once come from. And so rather than taking and, and enjoying the power and the position of what he had, God placed in his heart, hey, there's something over here that needs to be done. And, and by the way, I, I think you're the guy to do it. And that impressed Nehemiah. And so he basically said, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to give up this work that, by the way, is I'm responsible for a lot of things. I'm responsible for a lot of people. He said, I'm going to give that up to follow what God says. So if you're taking some notes, here's what I would put in that position of cage of responsibility. Start pursuing God-initiated passions. Start pursuing God-initiated passions. I'm going to give a personal illustration from one of our guys that went on the Guatemala trip with us. Clay Dotson. Clay's a lifer at Walmart. 
started as an intern in college, and then has um, they liked him so much they just kept him around. So he's been there, I don't know, 11, 14 years, something crazy, that he's been at Walmart. So he tells me probably, I'm just going to say a year and a half ago, hey, I think I'm supposed to go to Guatemala. Hey, okay, corporate guy. I love that. Whenever you get a chance. I know you guys get so many vacations, and here's what you got, and you are kind of planned out really good. So in the position he's in, he's really planned out good. So I'm going like, okay, whatever. But he kind of kept coming back, hey, I, you know, one of these days I need to do that. And I'm going like, gotcha. I gotcha. So then this spring, he says, after the mission trip that we took, and we had like 40-something people go on that one, he's going like, I'm going this summer. Okay. So then it gets down to crunch time. Hey, I'm getting my passport. All right. Well, then he has this little hiccup. And here's the deal. The Lord had been impressing upon him, hey, I want you to go. But then he has this little physical hiccup. And the truth is, if he asked him, because he told me this, so I'm not lying. He told me, he's going, I was kind of hoping that the physical thing wasn't serious, but serious enough that I wouldn't have to go to Guatemala. Y'all got me? Well, then the Lord just takes that one, checks that one off. Hey, serious. I want you to trust me. You're not in control, right? But still want you to go to Guatemala. Check physically okay. Jonathan, are you going to Guatemala? I wasn't going to Guatemala. Then I was going to Guatemala. I was going to let Michael do that. Hey, Michael Hocklander, you take as many trips as I do. You do it. No, I'm supposed to go to Guatemala. So Clay and I became roommates, which is good because I was the only person that, um, that he could handle that was snoring like me <laughs> from what everybody else told me. I think there was maybe one van ride where I fell asleep and I was really loud. Okay. So it was like, Hey, we're glad Clay's your roommate. So here's the deal. What God did in Clay's life in a brief portion of time that he was exposed to something he's never been exposed to because we live here in a nice bubble in Northwest Arkansas. Right. And even though he's traveled all over the place with Walmart and seen all kinds of things, He's never been out to a village where there was a dirt floor and no electricity and no one running water. And he saw kids happy, and yet they had nothing. So God changes our plans, and he takes that responsibility that sometimes is serious. And he takes that responsibility and says, hey, I want to turn that upside down on you because I want to show you something that you've never seen before. I want to expose you to something that you've never been exposed to. I want you to see me, God, like you've maybe never seen me before. And so God did that and took him out of that place of responsibility. That's, that's because he, he started pursuing something that God initiated in his heart. And he couldn't get away from it. He couldn't stop thinking about going to Guatemala. But God initiated that in his heart. Last little quote there. Step out in faith and the confirming signs will follow. Step out in faith and the confirming signs will follow. And you go, Jonathan, that is backwards. Lord, show me what to do and then I'll do it. Right? Don't raise your hands. Right? Lord, show me what to do. Give me a little bit of a path I'll follow. I'm there. I'm in. Let's go. Lord, you keep it kind of mystical and distant from me. That's not on the checklist. 
That's why we spend time with God. If you'll notice through all of the wild goose chase that we gave you something weekly to take home, here's some, here's some verses you can read, here's some prayer requests, here's some things that we desired for you to do as a church so that you could have communion with the Lord, so that God, the creator of all things, could actually speak to you. Didn't have to use the preacher, didn't have to use the Bible study, he could speak to you individually. And allow for you to understand what God wanted. The second one was the, the cage of routine. This one was interesting to me because, again, like I told you guys, I, I, I don't necessarily like to say that I'm a person of routine. And yet, at the same time, there seems to be part of that in me. And here's what I put down in, in, in this. This is, I, I kind of made this as uh, the Jonathan quote, but I actually stole it from the book. And it says this, our relationship to God or with God becomes a chore. The way that I usually express it to you guys is I go like, hey, have y'all punched your holy card this week? Right? That's what we do. Punch the holy card. And then at our church, if it gets inconvenient because we have such great parking, or if you notice the nursery this morning, we had like, and I'm apologizing, there was a lot of babies. Great job, parents. We need to expand the nursery. And we need workers, by the way, if the Lord is tugging on you, cute little babies, sweet back there, lots of them, lots of babies. When we look at the cage routine, here's the deal. When it's convenient, check, holy card, I'm good. When it works for Bible study, when it works for childcare, when it work, when it works and it's convenient, we'll do it. When it becomes difficult. All of a sudden, our routine is like, hey, maybe we ought to change routines because it's not as easy or it's not, it's, it's not as convenient. So the cage routine can actually stop us <laughs> from following God in that adventure. This is the quote that I kind of put from here. If we don't disrupt routine, you and I will stop living and we'll start existing. Take radical steps to simplify your life. Create time to listen and learn from God. Now, if you remember, Alan is the one that had um, the cage of routine. And here's some of the things from his notes that I thought would resonate this morning. Our lives lulled to sleep by the routine of our everyday life, the religious routine, the rat race routine, uh, the renegade routine. And Christ is at the banks of the Sea of Galilee calling to us just as he did to the disciples to follow him with our whole lives. Can you imagine how radical that was? That here's this guy that everybody is saying is the Messiah, he's the king, he's this, this chosen one, he's different. And he goes up to some fishermen and he goes, hey, lose your lives, follow me, stop what you're doing and come on. Wait a minute, I'm really comfortable, Nehemiah. Wait a minute, I really, I really got things I need to accomplish first and that I, that I need to settle before I do that, Lord, the rich young ruler. And yet there's some people that they're so desperate, like the woman at the well, it's like, Hey, what have I got to lose? And we get caught in our routines. And life becomes us existing 
rather than really living. My favorite all-time movies, Braveheart. Almost said Brave, and then I remembered that's the little kid version. Braveheart. And the character, Mel Gibson's character, says, every man dies, but not every man really what? Lives. Hey, guys, that dash part of our life, for some it's real quick, for some it's long. But what do we do with that dash? And during that dash, are we really living? Are we really living? Are we really living for God? And that's what these cages are about, is that the the cages that that we're talking about, they, they keep us from being and living and doing all that God wants us to do. And, and those are two that, that are what I call really logical, the, the cage of responsibility and the cage of routine. Those can't be bad. That's how we live our lives. That's how we walk. That's how we do our deal. That's what we're about, right? This is how we go about it. But then he pushes us, how about this one? The cage of assumptions. The cage of assumptions. Take a guy like Moses. They say that probably what Moses' situation was is that he had a stuttering problem. And so he's supposed to lead a million people out of Egypt. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, I've got a stuttering problem, but I need to be the president of the United States. Uh, there's no way I can get through the teleprompter, so we'll just try to get through today. Can you ima- Have you ever met somebody that has a really serious stutter- stuttering problem? It's difficult. You start trying to say the finish the sentence for them. And I'm not talking about like a husband and wife thing. I'm talking about you're going like, this is painful. And yet Moses was going to the Lord like, I can't do this, Lord. The assumption is, Father, you need somebody else to do this. How about Abraham and Sarah? Lord, seriously, you might need to pick another couple to carry on your lineage because we're a little too old to have a kid. How about Timothy? Lord, I'm a little too young to really be used by you. Can you give me a few more years of experience so that people will believe me and then I'll be used by you? And what happens in the cage of assumption is that Satan starts working on us in this one. So here's what I put about that. We'll never ever be good enough. We'll never ever be smart enough or have enough experience. But my qualifications are not the issue When we are following the Holy Spirit, it is not the best I can do. It is God's best through me. Do you see what God does for us? Listen, I'm telling you that Satan would love to take every one of these cages and keep us right where we are so that we can do the same things we've always done and be the same kind of church we always have been. And Satan wants to do the same thing with you spiritually. He wants you to just keep doing what you've been doing so that you can always keep doing what you've done so that it won't be out of the norm. And then we can all just sit back and say, hey, we're a good church. We do good things. And I'm a good person and I do good things. And we feel good about ourselves. And at the end of our life, when the dash is over, Then we stand before the Lord. And when we stand before him, 
what would he say to you? Hey, you could have done more. Well, yeah, Jonathan, sure, we could always have done more. No, listen. What is it that God wants to do with you that you can't even dream it or imagine it because of some of these cages? A cage of assumption. Assumptions make us, listen, assumptions make us question the object of our faith. The object of our faith should be God, not my surroundings, not my finances, not my relationship, not the things that I fail at. The object of my faith should be God, who is a creator, who says, I've got a plan for you in the book of Jeremiah. I know a plan for you, and I have a plan for you. Faith, listen, faith is not logical, nor is it illogical. Faith is theological. It doesn't ignore reality. It just adds God to the equation. Does that make sense? It's not that it's logical or illogical, but it's a theological question. And what it does is it takes reality and then it adds God to the question and to the equation of that question. Because here's the problem, that most of us that are looking at these cages today, it's going to come down to faith. And I'll get to that in a minute because that's my neat part of the sermon. It comes down to faith because what you and I are truly doing is we're either believing this and trusting in that or we're not. Right? We're either having this personal abandonment and what we call absolute trust in him or we're just kind of trying to ride the fence to figure out how to get it done. And God's saying, it's me through you. That's what he did through Moses. That's what he did through Abraham and Sarah. That's what he did through Timothy. It didn't matter about their age. It didn't matter about a stuttering problem. He used them because they made themselves available and willing to do whatever God wanted them to do. Read Greg's quote because he had the cage of assumption. Don't focus on how or when God is going to work. He is infinitely powerful and creative. We can't possibly imagine all the ways that he wants to work on our behalf. Because he's God. Then we have the cage of guilt. And this is, I'll spend a little bit of time here, resonate a little bit, but this is where we get stuck a little bit. And I'm going to give you a scripture, Romans, uh, this is Romans 8. And this will be through two. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the living spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Freedom from the guilt, from that. Remember, if you remember, ask for forgiveness from God and ask for forgiveness from what? Others. We ask forgiveness from God. We ask forgiveness from others. Then we have to receive that forgiveness. You and I have to actually receive that God said he would forgive us. You and I have to, by faith, believe that whatever we've done, however bad it's been, whatever it's been, that he will forgive us and we receive that. Because when we receive that, then we start acting like that. And that part is living out that forgiveness 
And isn't it amazing that once, once we accept the forgiveness, that we actually forgive others that same way. Sin minus grace equals guilt. Sin minus grace equals guilt. Sin plus grace equals gratitude. The next one, the sin, not sin, sorry, cage of failure. John Chancellor said this, if you want to make a good laugh, tell God your plans. If you want to make him laugh, tell God your plan. When my plan fails, how will I handle it? The temptation is not only to give up on my dreams, but to also give up on God and ultimately myself. Listen, what seems like a complete disaster could set a new course for my or your life. Sometimes, this is your quote of the day, sometimes our plans have to fail in order for God's plans to succeed. Sometimes our plans have to, f- to, to fail for God's to succeed. Greg had this great quote, and it, and it said this in, in, the, in the cage of failure. God isn't focused on your failure, so why are you? God isn't focusing on your failure, so why are you focusing on that? If he's forgiven us and he he says that we have that forgiveness, then we move forward and we do what God wants us to do. The last one is the cage of fear. Here's some things that I said. I can't. It's too big. It's too much to handle. I don't have enough money. I don't know how to do that. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, which also means sufficiency, And love of a sound mind. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything but by prayer and and petition and thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The cage of fear. I don't know how. I can't. It's too big. It's more than me. Here's what God promises to us. He promises his presence. He promises his provision and he promises his protection. So if God is for us, then who can be against us? And we live in fear of the unknown and we live in fear of the things that are at risk because we are a performance-driven society that failure is unacceptable. Greg was telling me this morning that he was watching the ceremonies for the Olympics open up and, and there was the team from, I'm, I'm probably telling this wrong, Albania or somewhere like that, and they had six people, okay? And it's obvious that those six people are probably not going to win a medal. But they were pretty excited to be there. They had competed and they were in the Olympics. And I know some of us say, hey, if I'm going to compete, I want to win. Well, what if you just ain't got it? What if you don't have the training? What if you aren't physically able to do that? I would love to be in the band one day. I can tell y'all I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. It's funny. I can't do it. 
I'd love to. I'd like to try. I'd lo- I mean, I've read the notes and done all the stuff and tried. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. But I'd love to be a part. I'd, I'd be a great air band guy. Like that would really, I could probably do that really good and have fun because I did it with a tennis racket when I was a kid. Okay, I'd love to do that. When we're sitting here and we think about failure and we think about, hey, do, do we not even try? Do we not even do that? And God says that that's not what we focus on. Focus on what he has. And that becomes that fear, failure and fear together. They all, to me, come together by one verse. It's out of Hebrews. It's a Hebrews 11.1. 1. If you don't know that verse, you can turn to it or you can listen to it or you can see it or whatever you want to do with it. But let me read it to you. Let me get my note here, the right note. Which I don't have, so I have to look it up. It says, faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. There's one key verse in the New American Standard that says this. Faith is substance. Faith is substance. You see, we can't get out of any of these cages without this faith. And it says, faith is substance. Now, most of us, we want to live by this kind of sight. And I do too. Because it's comfortable and I can see what's ahead. But the Lord is saying that his ways are different than our ways. And the way that he wants us to live is different than the world's ways. And everything that, that kind of seems to be what, what, what he wants is contradictory to what the world says is success and the way that we do this. And yet he pushes us to this point. And this is what I'll end with. That God desires to write history through your life and through my life. If we were reading a history book and it had your name or my name in it, wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Hey, I somehow influenced history. But that's what God desires. And Jeremiah says he has a plan for each of our life. That God's desire is to write history through our life. And I know that God doesn't have to do this because he's God. But what if God and his message, what, what if I lived my life as though he had to depend upon me for that to keep existing? Would I change my life? Would I walk differently? Would I speak differently? Would I, would I act differently? Would I, how would I be different if that were the case? Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning, we just ask that our response to you would be very simple. Lord, whatever cage that we might have, Lord, whether it's the cage of responsibility, routine, assumptions, guilt, failure, fear, whatever it is, Lord, that whatever is holding us back just a little bit from what you want us to do, God, may we give it to you. May we, may we allow for you to press into our life and to show us the things that, Lord, that, that are not right, that we might make them right with you, 
And that, God, that we would, we would give those things to you in such a way that, Lord, we would never look back. God, just, just in the, the few moments that we'll sing this song, may we respond to you by you revealing to us anything, Lord, that's a cage, anything that's keeping us from truly being all that you want us to be. May we give it to you. In your name we pray.